Good morning. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. We thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the privilege of, <clears throat> of gathering in this way. Thank you that you are for real and that you care for us. Thank you for the Bible. We can open it and, <clears throat> and learn about you. Learn how you are, how you want us to be, and how we can please you. So I pray, God, that you would bless this time at the service. Help me to say those things that are uh, profitable to those that listen. And I pray that you would use your spirit to uh, translate um, what I say into the hearts of those that listen. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning I want to talk about God. When you think about God, what are some words come to mind? Some descriptive words. Um, just volunteers. Eternal. Eternal, good. Eternal God. Anything else? Almighty, Almighty God. Holy God. The creator. creator, sure. Compassion. compassion, right, compassion. God. What's God like? Characteristics. Faithful, faithful God. God is love. There's a quote out of the scripture. God is love. Omnipotent. omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean for those of us that aren't sure? Okay, all powerful. He can do anything. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, okay. No, he can do anything. Sure. Except one thing. But what can God not do? The Bible says God cannot lie. lie. Yes, very good. Omnipotent. Omnipresent. Everywhere, present at once. Jonah in the belly of the fish whale, whatever, was with God. Or God was with him. <laughs> God knew about him. Sure. Anything else? Good. N- nice list. We're about a fourth of the way down the list. <clears throat> Not that far, even. <clears throat> to learn about God, we have to read the Bible. And I don't have 70 hours and 40 minutes to do that for you this morning. That's about how long an audio Bible is. Uh, so I'm just going to pick out some features about God uh, and, and, and talk about those. <clears throat> you know, I didn't hear in that list that you were giving. That's fine. That's fine. But I didn't hear the word severe, for example. Severe is the biblical description of God. Severe. Severe is from Strong's definition for the Greek word, which I don't know Greek very well, but I, I, I rely on Strong's pretty heavily. <laughs> uh, severe is used in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense of very exact, decisive, um, hmm, almost austere, um, Everything perfect. Uh, if you go into a home with a severe atmosphere, everybody walks perfectly straight, sir. Uh, but severe, that's, that's one of the descriptions of God in the Bible. How about furious? Did you hear that one either? The 
Fury is in the Bible quite often as, as fury, the fury of God. <clears throat> How about wrath? I didn't hear wrath either. But wrath in the Bible quite a bit, describing God. I think in Jeremiah, for example. So the list that came was great. I appreciate your, your effort and your, your input. That was very good and true. Um, this morning, a bit ago, Earl was talking about two seemingly opposite things that are both true at the same time. I don't know what it was. What did I say? Um, you were. <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 uh, the opposition stuck in my mind. The, uh, the, the discipline and the preservation? Um, perhaps. <laughs> Sorry, I slipped on that one. But God has these characteristics that seem kind of opposite. How about a God of love? We think of Grandpa with a grandchildren on the knee, bouncing around, reading stories. How about a God of wrath? You see a spider or a snake, make the hoe after them, and whack and whack and whack until there's just a pile of red mush. Okay, because the snake was, you know, needed to be gotten rid of. That's the picture of God of wrath that we have in the Bible. There are verse, there's a verse that describes God as stomping on people until the blood splashes over his clothes. But yet, God is the God of love. That's right. So, people tend to pick out certain characteristics about God that they like or that fit their situation and... and uh, and that's, that's fine. And God has a wide, wide variety of characteristics that, that uh, uh, come from him, from his, from his character. And the way we know these characteristics is by reading the Bible, what the Bible says. <clears throat> a biblical view of God helps us to understand our relationship with him. Let's say, for example, we got stuck on the wrath part. The, the, the whacking the snake into a pile of hamburgers part. You maybe have an idea of how people would live under that kind of idea of God? Always terrified that they look like a snake to God? Or about the, the, the love part or the mercy part? You know, if we, if we, if we get on the uh, bandwagon of God is love, which is perfectly true. That's a, a straight statement, statement in the Bible. God is love. I can never do anything wrong. Yeah, Grandpa is. You know, I can kick the dog or he'll say, Dad, no, don't do that. It's okay. I can spill my milk on the table and Grandma just wipes it up and smiles. And You know, a picture of God is love. You know, God created mankind in his image. And so we have a correlation between God's characteristics uh, and how people act. Because okay? people are like God. God made people like, like himself. So we can communicate with him. So we're on the same page, so to speak. We have the same language, just the same radio frequency. Uh, and so we can look around at, at other people and ourselves and see characteristics of God. Now, there are some characteristics of God that God says uh, people shouldn't have. For example, vengeance. Vengeance. Another one? 
jealousy. Hate. Okay, sure. Uh, the vengeance is probably the biggest, the biggest, uh, uh, most obvious one. Sure. I'm sorry. Covetous, right. Covetous. Um, jealous. The Bible describes God as jealous. Actually, very jealous. Uh, but people are supposedly precluded from jealousy. <clears throat> you don't, don't got to get involved in jealousy. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, this new covenant, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Knowing how to serve God acceptably is very important. If we miss serving God acceptably, we have tried to serve God unacceptably. And if you ever do something unacceptably, it's not good enough, right? You copy your stunning words and many of them are wrong. And the teacher says, this isn't acceptable. It's too sloppy or whatever. You do it again. Except in God's case, you don't get to do it again. At the end of life. So getting it right is important. That was Hebrews 12, 28. In verse 29, it says, why? Why is it so important to get it right? If God is a God of love, God of mercy, forgiveness, and he is. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. That's the reason given for the importance for getting it right the first time. The title of the message is The Great and Terrible God. That's a biblical phrase. The quotation. Uh, Nehemiah said it in uh, speaking to the Israelites. I'm sorry, he wasn't. He was speaking to God himself. He was in, in a prayer. Uh, in Deuteronomy, no, uh, Moses was talking to the Israelites and said a similar statement. And Nehemiah says, he's praying, I beseech thee, O Lord our God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses is t- talking to the, the, the Israel, Israelites. <clears throat> he said, For your God, Lord, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, in which regardeth not persons or taketh reward. Is independent of people's opinion of him. <clears throat> so the great and terrible God is not uh, is not a scare thing. Great is well, great, big, massive, huge, overwhelming, and terrible is not in the sense of strained peas. Like this is terrible. I can't eat it. You know, um, it's not in the sense of something yucky. Uh, terrible in the biblical sense means something that uh, strikes fear, in some cases, or awe, or very high respect. 
for example. Uh, so, Micah, when you're working on your generators, you have somewhat a sense of respect for some of the metal parts around there, don't you? At least you're here this morning, so you obviously do. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, but uh, you interact with them. Sure. Okay, you've trained them well. So, uh, that's a little bit of idea, perhaps, of how this terrible word is used in the Bible, that God is terrible in that he is very respect-worthy. Absolutely respect-worthy. And if Micah doesn't respect those aluminum conductors, he will turn into a crispy cookie immediately. Okay? So you respect, or there are definite, for sure, ultimate consequences. Okay, so this doesn't mean that Micah has to work somewhere else, like at a bulk food store. You know, he could, where <laughs> uh, you don't deal with high voltages and high currents. Uh, I enjoy going to bulk food stores and shopping, by the way. <clears throat> I'm glad for them. But it's very terrible. In the, in, in, you know, it's in the sense of very highly respectable, immediate, severe consequences if you don't respect it. Uh, that's the sense of the terrible that I get, I get from the Bible, at least. And you find that definition in Strong, by the way. But the, uh, that's the terrible God. So the great and terrible God is a title. I want to qualify the title so uh, you know where I'm coming from. Okay, the great and terrible God. I want to bring out uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different areas here, about how great and terrible God is in different areas. I want to talk about his name, his word, his presence, his mercy, his justice, and his salvation. And like I said, I don't have 70 hours and 40 minutes to, to go over the whole thing. Uh, but we'll pick out, I'll pick out these. And you can round out the message you know, on your own time. At home. Um, that's what you should do with unbalanced messages, by the way. You can, you can uh, round them out yourself uh, at home. <clears throat> um, not necessarily get up in the air about what was said, as long as it was true. All right, so God is, I think somebody said infinite uh, in, the, in the previous list. God's infinite. Um, so my volunteer, what does infinite mean? Like infinity is another word that comes from the same... Same idea. What is infinity or an infinite substance? Any uh, comments about that? Without end. Without end. No, boundaries. no boundaries. Good. What else is infinite besides God? Anything? Space. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe space. <laughs> we can't really check that one out. <laughs> okay. Numbers. Hey. What's the biggest number? It's a little three-year-old question. Daddy, you know the biggest number? Um, no. You don't know the biggest number? Playing everything. Well, once you know a number, you just go plus one. And then plus one. And you never, never, never come to the end. And there's never, never ending out row of numbers out the positive side 
and a never-ending row of numbers out the negative side. And there's this little fancy symbol that stands for infinity in mathematics, which means the whole row that I can't write. All right, God is like that in everything. God is infinite. So, the list of uh, characteristics we had before. Love. He is an infinite lover. He loves without limit. When God's going to love you, he loves you like crazy. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't sacrilegious. But he loves you to extreme. He loves you um, to infinity. He does really, really strange things because he loves you. <clears throat> uh, like buying back rebellious people with the blood of his son. He loves you unimaginably much. When God is merciful, he is merciful to, to a fault, you know, as we say it. Of course, it's not a fault with God. He's merciful uh, to extreme because he's infinite. God cannot do things by halves. He's infinite in all his characteristics. God doesn't show or God doesn't exercise all his characteristics on everyone all the time. Okay, right now he's not exercising his full wrath upon you. Or he wouldn't be, or me, he wouldn't be, wouldn't be here. Okay, but he has. He has the characteristic of a wrath, for example. <clears throat> so his attributes are, are, are infinite. If he were to divide a cookie between two old brothers, he would divide it right in the middle with equal numbers of atoms per cookie half. He would do it perfectly. Okay? It's infinite, but yet Jesus wouldn't divide inheritance with another guy that was asking him. Uh, but, but if he wanted to, he could divide poof, right down the middle. Um, the Bible talks about um, so you have this, uh, the word of God being like a sharp sword. But his characteristics are without limit and, and uh, perfect, extreme. Okay, let's go through the, the uh, parts here that I have uh, planned for. God's name. <clears throat> uh, Moses was uh, asking God what he should tell Israel when they asked him, Who's sending you to lead us out of Egypt? And God said, tell them that I am am sent you. That's his little nickname, okay? Short little name, they can can understand. I am, I am sent me. Later, on Mount Sinai, God tells Moses his full name. I'm going to turn turn to these verses. There's a couple of verses, Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. Moses is up on top of the mountain. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. It's found. 34, 5 to 7. And God says, And the Lord descended in the cloud, verse 5, and stood within there, within the cloud, so Moses could stand it, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. That's what he said. The Lord, the Lord God, 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and the fourth generation. Talk about two opposite things in the same sentence. Notice that he, he starts out that God is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquities and sin, and holding guilty people to the line exactly, never giving them an inch. He just said he'd forgive transgressions and sins. So, uh, it depends on the people. We'll get to that later, perhaps. But when God is in the forgiving mode, he forgives from the east to west. To the east pole to the west pole. You remember how far that was? It's a really, really long way. And when God is bringing judgment, he brings judgment and judgment and judgment and judgment, like he says to Israel, until they be consumed. Um, just a little clue there about the um, infinity of God's characteristics. And he, he does both. Uh, and it says more about the mercy forgiveness part here, uh, which is comforting to me at least, uh, than, than it does about the, the um, visiting the iniquity upon the, upon the children. So God has a great name, a great descriptive name, a name that says he will, he will uh, uh, redeem people and yet be very strict on judgment, infinitely so. <clears throat> the great and terrible God, his word. Uh, turn back a few pages, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Here we have the first record of God's word, of his, his speaking. <clears throat> God had made the heavens and the earth, uh, whatever that consists of, perhaps just matter, the universe full of matter perhaps, and he organized it later. And in verse 3 he starts talking. And God said, let there be light. And he waited and waited. Nothing happens. They said, let there be light. And after a long time, a little glow appeared on the horizon. Well, probably not. That's not the translation that uh, I usually read. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, we don't know if it's five seconds or two seconds or, you know, immediately or what. But uh, when God speaks, things happen. It's like the light was, you know, God said, let there be light. And the light Jumped when he talked and on the way up said, how high? You know, that's, that's, that's the response God gets from, from speaking. <clears throat> uh, we notice that God's talking to light here and inanimate matter. Um, he's not talking to people. Um, he has somehow surrendered a will to people. Uh, that's part of the complicated mind of God. And people don't always jump when he speaks. 
But at some point, God will, re- will retrieve that freedom. And um, people will jump again. <clears throat> so the word of God brought the world into, uh, brought the, the creation into existence just by his speaking. Second uh, Peter talks about this, that the word of God before the flood was brought into existence by him speaking, and that same word keeps it in existence. You know, when God says, let there be light, there's going to be light until he says, all right, turn off. Uh, it will be in existence until he stops it from being in existence. He doesn't have to say, okay, come on, light. A little more light. Come on, light. Keep going. Keep going. You know, light is in existence until, until he says, okay, now stop. That's a lesson for some of us. If God gives you a job or shows you his will, you do it until he says, all right, stop. He'll stop you when it's time. Never fear. Never fear. <clears throat> so, um, we tend to say, okay, still? Still? So I keep on? Uh, yes, God will tell you when to stop. <clears throat> but the same word is kept in store. Second Peter 3, uh, 5 to 7 is where I'm uh, looking here. <clears throat> and reserves into fire against the day of judgment. <clears throat> so God's word is, is, is powerful. It is infinite. It is great and terrible. It created the universe, and the universe is scared to not go into not be existing. I mean, it, 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 it's keeping existing as long as until God says, "Okay, stop." At some point, He will say, "Stop," and He will wrap up the creation and make a new heaven and a new earth. There is a uh, something you study in chemistry class in science. That's uh, describing how, how atoms hold together. Okay? Uh, and I, I like to think that this is the power of the Word of God. That's not a scientific principle, I'm sure. Uh, but there's this, there's a, an atom made of protons and neutrons, and there are multiple protons normally in the nucleus of an atom, really tightly together, clumped together. And protons both have positive, all have positive charges. So it's like a bunch of north poles of magnets stuck together. If you have two strong magnets, you put them together, they're hard to push together. Okay. Well, there's this strange phenomenon. If you get get two protons really uh, come together, they repel, like two north poles of magnets will repel. But if you get them really, really close, they stick suddenly much more strongly than they repelled before. Isn't that weird? Magnets don't do that. Uh, but inside the nucleus of an atom, that's what's occurring. And somehow, there's this really, really strong force that acts over really small distances that when opposite charges get really, really close together, they suddenly stick really hard instead of repelling. And they call, that's called a strong nuclear force. Really uh, creative name. Um, it's the strongest force in, in, that's in, in the atom. keeps the atoms together. And that force keeps you from going poof into a poof of smoke and flying apart. If all our protons would fly apart, of course, we you know, wouldn't exist anymore. 
Um, I, I, I like to think that that's the power of the word of God. Keeping these opposite strengths, opposite forces, tightly bound together within all our atoms and, and the creation, the matter that he made. And maybe when God wants to get rid of the, this, this universe, he'll just say, all right, let go, and poof, everything disappears. I don't know. We'll see. <clears throat> but for now, it's holding. And the strong nuclear force is definitely in force. And uh, the universe works off the laws of physics that God created at the beginning. And they haven't changed. So the laws of uh, gravity that Newton was, was discovering, you know, they still, they'll still work. You hit a softball in the air, you're planning where it's going. You shoot a gun, the bullet acts like you expect it to normally. I mean, uh, it acts as, if you, acts as if you should expect it to. Acts how you should expect it to. Okay. <clears throat> the trouble is you don't always shoot where we think we're going to shoot. Anyway, um, all kinds of excuses why people miss deer. That, that's, that's one of them. The laws of physics were, upheld, were uh, not upheld at that time. But the current heaven and earth are upheld by the word, the word of God, the same word that brought it into existence. It's staying in existence from the creation word. Let there be light. And light is light and light until God, of course, turns it off. The presence of God. This is one that we, we don't really have much correlation to. Um, Moses got to see a little of the presence of God. And in the uh, description where he was hearing God's name spoken, that was on, on Mount Sinai. Um, in Psalms, a verse, a verse that says, He looketh at the earth and it trembleth, he touches the hills and they smoke. Uh, his own creation can't stand him, can't bear him. <clears throat> um, the scripture says that no man can look on God and live. In Hebrews, it talks about the situation back in, in uh, Exodus, at Mount Sinai. With the sound of the trumpet, the voice of words, which they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And Moses was used to talking, to talking to hearing from God, talking to God. But when God actually came down inside this dark cloud to shield the people, these poor feeble people like us, um, they were scared. And so terrible was the sight. The sight of God is terrible. His presence is terrible. And whenever you have people seeing representations of God or even spiritual beings in the Bible, normally they are terrified. Fall down as dead, for example. I'm going to read some in Exodus 19. You can turn there if you'd like or just listen along. Uh, Describing the presence of God there on Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, starting in verse 16. 
And it came to pass on the third day, they had three days warning, three days preparation, in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth these trembling people, the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And the Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And then Moses went up into the mountain and talked with God. Uh, I've never been next to a volcano, for example, when it was um, exploding. Um, Anyone see the volcano explosion? A volcano erupting? Okay. From a distance, perhaps? Okay, yes. Those kind of things are, uh, make us nervous. Uh, this made these folks nervous, really, really nervous. They were scared. They were terrified. Um, and I couldn't really find anything to illustrate this Sinai situation, uh, except a little teeny weeny little illustration that, of course, has lots of limitations. Uh, and that is a sparking machine. <clears throat> So we'll pretend that this is an illustration of God's presence on Mount Sinai. Okay? It's a real lame, lame illustration, like most illustrations are. But the, the, um, it's a, an object that you may not want to get very close to. Okay? If you get close to it, there are lightnings and thunderings. Uh, now, in the biblical account, if you got too close, you had to get killed manually uh, by the Israelites. Uh, but God, God, God told Moses, you go back down and you tell those people down there, stay away from the mountain or I'm going to break out upon them, he said. Okay. So, this is how it would look. All right. Lightnings and thunderings. Okay? So, uh, God's presence is dangerous. Alright? Uh, many volunteers come get close to, close to uh, God's presence. Alright? On a good day, it puts out about 600,000 volts. It depends on the weather. Uh, but it sparks to the edge here better than close to the top. All right, so God's presence, lightning and thundering, uh, the smoke. Anything I want to bring in because of the fire company downstairs. Okay. 
picture of God in the future. In heaven. In John's revelation. In the revelation of Jesus, according to John, a door opened in heaven, and God was sitting on the throne with lightnings and thunderings and voices. A bit like Mount Sinai. Something you want to respect. Uh, God's presence is a terrible thing. Uh, more terrible than high voltage wires. <clears throat> there are definite serious consequences if you violate the presence of God. Uh, the presence of God is all-inspiring. I mentioned that usually in the Bible when someone sees the presence of God in a vision even, they are terrified and they fall on their face and they're, they're um, suddenly very humble. <clears throat> when John first was, was having his vision, he saw this heavenly being and he fell at his feet as dead until the, until the, until the, the, the being told him just to get back up again. Uh, and up in heaven, Revelations 4, describing the, the, the throne was set in heaven. Uh, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and a fire before the throne. And the, the beasts and the elders around the throne are falling down and worshiping, worshiping uh, God and saying that he is worthy. It's a awesome Situation, an awesome experience. We don't get much of a glimpse of the presence of God, except within the Bible. Uh, we, we have that. Uh, but at some point we will. God will have everyone in his presence, even those that have died in the, in the past, will, will be in his presence. So that's, 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 that's more for us to come then. Okay, God's mercy. Remember, God's characteristics are infinite. His, his presence is infinite. It's just overwhelming. It's... it's it, it, uh, he has a sense of presence that doesn't stop. His mercy is overwhelming. It's infinite as well. Mercy is uh, something that our fallen minds um, get confused. <clears throat> Often God's mercy and long-suffering toward the wicked is misunderstood as indifference, Tolerance or even approval. There's a, a verse in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. 
says, because sentence against evil an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. For example, in your home, let's say you tell the children, um, let's not jump on top of the cars because it's damaged the cars, it's not a good practice. Well, let's say Johnny jumps on top of the cars. If nothing happens, what have you just told him by your silence? It's okay. And you had just given him instructions. Do not jump on the cars. It is not a good plan. And he jumps on the cars. And then if you ignore it, you've just told him, it's fine to jump on the cars. Now, in a month from now, you one day get Johnny by the hand, take him into the closet, and say, remember last June 4th? I told you not to jump on the cars. And you jump on the car. Well, here's your spanking. And Johnny says, huh? <laughs> All right, so you withheld judgment for so long, Johnny thought it was okay. Well, that's how people seem to react to God's mercy. And there's a, a story in, uh, an account, a historical account in Jeremiah, where this happened. In Jeremiah 44, uh, Jeremiah was telling the Israelites that they need to repent. They need to repent. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and take them away uh, if they don't line up themselves with with God's law. And he did come. And he said, okay, just give up. Surrender. Give up. Don't fight. And of course they didn't. They didn't surrender. Uh, They fought. So they were were ruined. Um, then there was a group of people that had gone to Egypt, I believe it was. I'll read a couple of verses here in Jeremiah 44, starting with 15. Jeremiah had a meeting with these people that had gone to Egypt, I believe. In verse 15, Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt, in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, as, as we, have done we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of victuals and were well, and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things, and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven, and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make make her cakes to worship her, and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? And this is the ladies talking. So no, our husbands were into this too. Okay, so back when we were in Israel uh, and uh, giving offerings to the Queen of Heaven, here that is, it wasn't God. Uh, we had a nice life. And then we finally stopped, perhaps because of Jeremiah's warnings, and now we're in exile, having a hard time. We're now refugees. And you think we're going to now stop 
giving offerings to the queen of heaven when we used to do it and had a nice life? Well, the missing little piece of the puzzle here is God was having mercy on this nation for years and years and years throughout their rebellion and idol worship and idol worship and idol worship. Now, they had warnings. Jeremiah told them uh, what was going to happen in the future. But they didn't put the one plus one together. So it seems as though God's mercy is often wasted on unregenerate humanity. Uh, Sadly, that's how people tend to react. Because sentence of an evil sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. But God has mercy and mercy and mercy. And withholds judgment for a long time until these small minded people like us sometimes get the idea that because nothing bad's happening to me in my life right now, God is in approval of me. And you may know lots of folks like that. In the days of Noah, and Peter talks about this, <clears throat> that God had long-suffering with the people of the earth all the days the ark was in building. Now, during the time the ark was building, the population of the earth had normal lives. Nothing bad was happening to them, except the normal violence level, whatever that was. Violence filled the land. Uh, But nothing extra bad was happening to them. Um, And so, how were they to know that they were doing anything wrong? But Noah told them, who the preacher of righteousness, I expect he told them. Uh, so there's a there's a there's a, a, an element of faith that it takes to believe the warning of judgment, just like it takes faith to believe in salvation of God, because uh, often the judgment doesn't come immediately; it comes later. <clears throat> uh, and many many unregenerate people don't have the faith that it takes to believe the coming judgment that they don't see. And Romans Paul talks about this future judgment. Um, I'll just break in Romans 2 at verse 1. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself, for thou, doest, thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that, that judgest them which do such things and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So God is trying to lead these people to repentance by his goodness and longsuffering, and they don't catch on. They don't get it. Paul says you don't know. God's mercy is infinite. He gives mercy, and mercy has long-suffering on us. And we're supposed to catch on that's kindness from God's end. But often people misconstrue the long-suffering of God as indifference. There must not be a God if all this is happening. You know, I'm doing what I want to. Nothing's happening bad. I'm fine. Either God's not there, He doesn't care, or He approves. 
So hopefully those of us that are seeking God, um, of course, do take do take any chastisement that comes um, or a long suffering of God you know, as as a, 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 a message from God calling us closer to himself. God's justice. Uh, this isn't one of the usually top ten characteristics of God that, that, that comes up. Um, nice to talk about. But God's justice is infinite as well. Um, just like his mercy. Just like his long-suffering. Just like his, his presence is infinite. His justice is infinite as well. His justice is great and terrible. Um, justice is reserved to God, like was mentioned before. Romans 12 is talking about how you should love, other, love each other. Uh, down to verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. You people... Be nice to each other all the time. Be nice to everybody all the time. Even mean people. Be nice back to them. And Jesus had taught that as well. Be nice back to them. Because the punishment is not your job. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Uh, justice, the justice of God is complete and exact and thorough and infinite. <clears throat> so you and I don't have to be going around bringing justice to the world. We can't. We don't have to even waste our time trying. Uh, there's, no, there's no blanket justice to be found in the world. But God will bring justice to the world. The world's conditions. And you will cut very finely. Like dividing the cookie. Atom to atom. Right down the middle. It'll be a perfect, complete judgment of justice. And at that time, the mercy and the long-suffering and the love will be hard to find. Uh, now we don't see God's justice poured out without mixture, as uh, the Bible describes it. And he says he even pour out the settlings in the cup, the dregs. Uh, when God gets to his to the stage of justice in the history of the world, <clears throat> uh, it'll be like perhaps the frantic mother killing the snake in the yard. And you whack and whack and whack and whack and whack until you don't know where the snake is anymore. And that's as close to infinite uh, judgment as we can can probably get. Uh, God God has meted out justice. uh, 
God has the right to mete out justice whenever anyone crosses his will. It's his long-suffering and mercy that, that gets in his way, so to speak, that keeps him from doing that continually. Um, in Israel, Israel's um, life, uh, the history of Israel, God meted out justice periodically. and had long spans of mercy and long-suffering uh, between. In Numbers 11, the people are in the wilderness and they are complaining. God doesn't like complaining uh, because he, gives, he gave them manna to eat. Uh, he's providing for them, telling them where to go, and they weren't happy with it. Now, if you had to eat manna 40 years, I'd be tempted to complain too. Um, but God said, look, this is what I'm giving you, and you be happy with it. They're complaining against God. Numbers 11, 1. Numbers 11, verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. Of course, he hears everything. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So suddenly, there was just fire flying around, and it burned up the people out around the edges of the camp. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of man is fully set in them to do evil. Well, in the cases where God does execute speedily, uh, it makes a point. <laughs> it really does. And in Israel's history, it made a point for them at different times. Um, another Occasion in Israel's history, um, Dathan and Abiram were competing with Moses' authority. And God said that uh, that wasn't acceptable because he had chosen Moses to be the leader of Israel. And so he said, if these people die the same as everybody else, then uh, they're fine. And if they don't, if they died a different way than usual, then uh, that's judgment of God against them. And so they separated them out and the families of the rebellious people and all their stuff, their tents and their animals, their, their, uh, yeah, their wives and children were separated. And Numbers 16, 32, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were around about them fled at the cry of them. And ah! down, in the, down in the hole. And the, and the earth closed up over them. And they screamed so hideously the people of Israel just ran away. They were scared. It made a point with, with, um, with Israel. Because the sentence against the evil work was executed speedily. So in God's mercy for the rest of Israel... He passed judgment on the rebellious sector and saved the whole, saved the rest of the group. Sometimes God has done that. And after the earth was closed up, fire from the Lord came out and consumed 250 men that were off to the side separately that offered incense that weren't supposed to. The judgment of God 
uh, in Revelation 20. Um, let's, let's turn there. Revelation 20. Um, this is at the final, final judgment. Revelation 20. Let's start at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Remember how Sinai smoked and quaked when God came down hidden in a cloud? We don't see a read of a cloud here. Earth and the heaven fled away from his face. There was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged according they were judged every man according to his works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of the of life was cast into the lake of fire. <clears throat> the judgment of God does not cancel the love and mercy and long-suffering of God. He's infinitely uh, loving and merciful and long-suffering, as well as infinitely uh, exercising justice and judgment. But he exercises them at different different times, of course. So God doesn't change. Uh, God said, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. Uh, he doesn't suddenly lose his temper and just kind of you know, fly off the handle. Uh, he has a sense of very strong sense of justice all the time. Even during the time of long-suffering when people think that he's approving of them in their wickedness. His sense of justice is being incensed. But his long-suffering is holding back, giving him time to repent. If they catch on, what's going on? Giving him time to repent. Until some appointed time when he says, okay, this is enough. And he brings judgment to Israel, which is written for our learning, upon whom the end of the world are, world are come, or uh, ourselves, upon whom the ends of the world are coming. When God goes into justice mode, uh, as I said before, that we can look around at people and kind of get an idea of the characteristics of God. Um, And remember, God's characteristics are infinite. And so you think of the meanest person you've ever heard of. Examples? Hitler. Hitler, okay. I'm so glad I'm not Hitler. <laughs> he comes there every time. Who else? Nero. Okay. Well, God's meaner than that. Hitler and Nero were not infinitely mean. They were extremely mean. They were very, very mean. But God is meaner than that. And by mean, I mean 
delivering judgment thoroughly. The justice of God is, is infinite. We don't know what infinite justice looks like. Thankfully. And, you know, God preserve us that we don't um, have to experience that. But that's a, a characteristic of God that we need to, we need to know about. Uh, when Paul was talking to, I think it was Festus, he was talking to him about righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Festus trembled. Uh, we don't just say, God loves you so much that he wants you to be, be your friend and you can be in fellowship with him. That's part of the story, yes. Definitely. But there's judgment to come. And when God goes into justice mode, this is a, 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 it's hard to talk about, it's hard to think about. When God goes into justice mode, think of the Israelites that had complained. And they saw those screaming families falling into the hole. And the earth closing up again over top of them. Imagine the impression that left on those little children. And the adults as well. But God's not picky, not, not finicky about, about his judgment. When, it, when it's time for judgment, God does it thoroughly. In 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, 4-10, talks about, about uh, suffering Christians. <clears throat> uh, and this kind of ties into the vengeance is mine, I will repay. You be nice all the time to each other, folks down there on the earth. Um, I'm God, I'll take care of the judgment part. In 2 Thessalonians uh, 1, I guess Paul is talking here, as a comfort to the Christians who were under persecution and are suffering for their faith. So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So let me paraphrase that a bit. In uh, verse 15, this, the persecution and tribulation they were enduring for their faith. This is a visible token. A token is a small piece of a bigger thing. Okay? You give a little thank you card for something that someone did. Now they, what they did for you is probably more important to you than giving a thank you card. They may have you know, whatever they did to you. But so a, a token is a really small um, correlation to what something, another larger, larger happening. So all the killing and, and tormenting and torture these, the government was doing to these Christians was only a tiny little, like a thank you note, that small compared to what God would have in store for those people. That's what it says. And as Christians who are taught rightly, correctly, be nice to everybody, love everybody, return good for evil, this is a little bit of a hard thing to swallow. So, 
Doesn't God do that? No, he doesn't. Absolutely not. God has a, uh, uh, God is righteous. He reserves the right of vengeance. And he exercises the right of vengeance infinitely. So in verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Okay, so God is, Paul is saying, Christians, you just, if you keep loving like Jesus said, I'll return good for evil. Uh, God will take care of those guys later. And he'll do it right. So, I don't know quite how Christians should think about that. Should it gladden us? Should it sadden us? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, that's how God works it out. So, it's good. But, um, it does maybe take a little bit of the burden of retaliation off of, off of the Christian in our human minds to help us relieve ourselves of the burden of the feeling of retaliation. That God is, God is the ultimate judge and he will bring justice. And at the same time, loving your enemies. So, you figure that one out later. <clears throat> the justice of God. In Proverbs, it talks about the wisdom, uh, God, God, uh, the wisdom from the Lord and fearing the Lord. And wisdom here is doing the talking in these verses, uh, but it's, it's wisdom from God. So I, I think it's fair to put God in, this, in, this, uh, in these verses. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 2, 4 and 5. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. This isn't that a joke. God is laughing at someone that's getting hurt. Okay? Something that we can't do. We're not supposed to do. And God's hurting them. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. God's sense of justice is thorough, complete. Like I said, you think you're the meanest, most sadistic person you can find. God's judgment is worse than that. Because God's sense of justice is absolute, extremely sharp, and thorough. And if, you, if, if, if anything violates the will of God, there is nothing too bad to happen to them that would be unjust. This kind of thought helps you to maybe realize a little more what we are saved from. Uh, not just the, the, you know, the disruptions of life here on earth. The uh, bad families and the poor relationships and all that. 
Um, but like, like Paul talked to Festus, eternal judgment. He trembled. He knew these things. In Revelation 14.10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his, cup of his indignation. And I'll just skip down through here. They shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, we have Jesus sitting on, on a rock, perhaps, holding little children in his lap. And now we've got Jesus standing by, committing people into a tar furnace and being, being totally approving of it. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The righteousness of Jesus didn't change from when he was sitting on the rock holding the children to uh, what it will be at, at the final judgment. The characteristics of God are the same all through, all through his eternal existence. Uh, we just get to see them in, in glimpses here and there. I want to... Uh, and happy. <laughs> I feel pretty bad right now. Uh, it's hard to talk about these things. It's in the Bible, though. If you, if you hear me say something that's not scripturally, please stand up and shout at me because I don't want to say anything that's not, not uh, in the Bible the way Bible, the God intended it to be. I want to make sure I get it right, too. God has... Infinite salvation. We get to there. Okay. Infinite salvation. So, when God saves, He saves to the uttermost. He saves, saves and saves and saves and saves. He takes somebody that is headed for that tar furnace, fire and brimstone, and rebelling against God, working out their own righteousness as filthy rags, these Stinky, rotten bandages off a gangrene foot. Presenting to God, look what I've got for you. He doesn't like that. He takes us from a mindset like that and brings us into his kingdom, makes us a brother of Jesus Christ and promises us eternal life with him. How can that be? That's his biggest salvation. How great salvation. I don't understand this. But that's what the Bible says. And so, his salvation is just as infinite as his judgment, as his mercy, as his long-suffering. He's a God of salvation. He saves to the uttermost, to the very, very, very end. Volunteer, come here and, and um, shake hands with this machine, please. Anybody care to come shake hands with this machine? We've got an advocate. Jesus Christ will take you to this almighty God whose presence makes the hills smoke. And you can sit in God's lap. You volunteers, I'll take you there. I'll be your advocate. I'm serious. Okay.
I'll show you something. I'll show you the judgment of God first. You stand over here. Okay? That's what a judgment of God in this little teeny illustration feels like. Now, you come with me. I'm not too close to that, though. Look. We put the blood of Jesus Christ with us. Come, brother. Let's go to God. You're safe. Right? You may sit down. Thank you. If you've got Jesus looking out for you, you can go right to Mount Sinai. You can go right to the the mercy seat. You can go into the inner court of the temple where the priest would be struck dead. I've heard that they used to tie a rope to the priest's foot in case he got killed. They could drag him out. I don't know if that's true or not. This is a dangerous place to go to. Right up to the presence of God. And we can do that because of Jesus. He saves to the uttermost. I'm going to read a bit yet in In Psalm, Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'll read a bit in... I'd to read the whole thing. Very beautiful psalm. Of the salvation of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities through Jesus Christ. He's got to have a justice served. And Jesus took that. Justice is served exactly, way to the end, infinitely, in Christ, in Christ's sacrifice. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases eternally in heaven, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. For those that are oppressed, what about the oppressors? They're the ones executed. We don't always think about that part, but that's, that's part. It's in, there, it's in there too. Verse 7. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And if you catch on what's going on, it draws you to God. If you don't catch on what's going on, you think God approves of your wickedness. So, just a little point there again. Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Not the others. Them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. 
But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him throughout eternity. Those that fear God will be safe in his presence throughout eternity, forever and ever. And he qualifies the statements. Then that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his commandments. Their qualifications. To, to, uh, and that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.